Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Dearest listener, allow me to unveil a delightful secret. Snag Tights Craft Clothing that embraces every body shape. In a bold endeavor to revolutionize the fashion realm, Snag has triumphed. Permit me to draw your attention to the ingenious Chub Rub Shorts, crafted with moisture-wicking yarn, promising to keep you at least one degree cooler and utterly free from the discomfort of chafing. Free shipping on select orders. Thus, the more you snag, the more you save. Do not delay. Dear listener, experience the fashion revolution that is snag and visit snagtights.us today. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to Criminalia, where we explore the intersection of history and true crime. I'm Maria Tremarchi. And I'm Holly Fry. And in today's episode, we're going to look at the life of Catherine de' Medici, who became one of the most well-known, or or maybe just most notorious, uh, queens when she became (laughs) Queen of France in the 1500s. And unlike some of our other poisoners who may have been new to you, you know her name. And that is because Catherine led a very big life, and there is a lot in the historical record about her. Really? Yes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We'll unpack that problem. Catherine may or may not have introduced the artichoke to France, and she may have been at least partly responsible for starting the French Wars of Religion. Nothing big, really. Um, She's also famous for being the mother of three, three kings. Our primary focus, though, today is to untangle whether or not the accusations that Catherine was a homicidal poisoner actually had any truth to them. Or even were at least... Plausible.
Catherine may have been a queen of France, but she was not actually born in France. She was born in Italy, in Florence, in April of 1519. Her mother was Madeleine de la Tour d'Auvergne, cousin of Francis I, King of France, and her father was Lorenzo de' Medici, who was the ruler of Florence. And had several other titles, but at the end of the day, he was the ruler of Florence. <laughs> uh, she, uh, Catherine herself actually was said to have exhibited the same physical traits as her father and the rest of the Medici clan. Um, and we quote this from a Venetian envoy um, right around the time of Catherine's 40th birthday. She was described as uh, her mouth is too large and her eyes too prominent and colorless for beauty. I dream that one day someone will write that about me. <laughs> Your eyes, Holly, are too colorless. <laughs> I'm dead inside. Um, <laughs> I think that's where it comes from. <laughs> right. She's got the shark eyes. But this is not the only way that she was described. She was also described as, quote, a very distinguished looking woman with a shapely figure, a beautiful skin, and exquisitely shaped hands. So this is clearly an eye of the beholder situation, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, if, if you like hands. Like, you know. She's got the dead eyes and gorgeous hands. <laughs> uh, we'll see. I mean, like hands do come up a little bit later. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, she was uh, she was from a famous political family. The Medicis were... Um, uh, the ruling wealthy class of Tuscany in Italy, um, which was, they are also known as the House of Medici, and they came to their wealth and political power long before Catherine. Um, it was back in the 13th century, and um, primarily they came to it through banking and uh, commerce. But if you know the Medici's, probably banking is not the first thing that comes to your mind. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Like really good interest rates. Um <laughs> 3.2. <laughs> they went on to become patrons of Leonardo da Vinci, Botticelli, Michelangelo, and Galileo, among other names that you would recognize today. They were considered the first family of the Italian Renaissance. Um, but, but Catherine herself, her story is, uh, it begins tragically. Uh, so she was orphaned when she was less than a month old. So when she was two weeks old, her mother died. Um, her father's death, which was probably the result of syphilis, um, happened very quickly after her mother, and she spent her childhood being cared for and educated in convents. And then in 1533, when she was 14, Catherine's uncle, who happened to be Pope Clement VII, arranged for her to marry the Duke of Orléans, calling it the greatest match in the world. In the world! I mean, I like how wow. he builds it like modern wrestling matches. <laughs> I, I thought the in same the thing. World. I was like, like WWE or like, like a monster truck race. He's like, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> There's like a monster truck marriage thing that we can put together here. Everybody's got a little flag, you know. <laughs> um, so the Duke, uh, who would become her husband, he was the second son of the King of France. Um, and he, despite being the second son, he did go on to be crowned. Um, he was crowned Henry II in March of 1547. So during her first 10 years of marriage, uh, Catherine lived with the fact that Henry II had a mistress, Diane de Poitiers, who had been his caregiver during his childhood. Mm. That's got some baggage <laughs> we're not unpacking today. We're just going to let that stay where it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Henry. <laughs> right. Uh, Diane had all of the influence, and Henry actually wore her colors 
just sort of a way to symbolize his his affinity for her mm-hmm. rather than his wife Catherine's which had to be both uh just personally upsetting and embarrassing. Can you even imagine she would be at different various, you know, events that were happening and there's Henry and like whatever the heck Diane wore, you know. And she just <laughs> had to sit there and clap. Just shove it all down inside, Catherine, it'll be fine. <laughs> so Henry's mistress actually kept all of the influence that she had over him through childhood and into adulthood, um, she kept it through until Henry's death. She, she was always there. And it took, for Catherine, years of living with infertility and some extraordinarily humiliating treatments for that infertility, often involving urine and animal parts, before the cause of the problem that they were having, she and Henry conceiving a child, was finally uncovered. What actually was uh, revealed was that the king had a physical issue called hypospadias, which makes conception really difficult. Oh, I was going to say, also, he probably had to have sex with her. Like, you know, like, regardless of the fact that he had a physical issue, you know, I mean, he was doing it with Diane. So, like, they needed to be in the same room as well. So for 10 long years, like, this is this is crazy. <laughs> So even though this was revealed to be a problem of Henry's physiology, Catherine was still considered to be the one to blame. And she was often called frigid by the people at court and the people of the country. Yes, so society was not nice to her at this time. Um, And so Henry had one living brother um, who was unmarried and childless. And I can only imagine that that would have made Catherine feel like the entire fate of that dynasty was in her hands. Um, And so for her to have that first child was just incredibly important. There are actually even some accounts of Catherine tearfully pleading with the king, her father-in-law, Francis I, uh, before they had ascended to the throne, to please allow Henry to marry a woman who could give him an heir. But Francis I was not interested in this. He considered their marriage to be God's will and thus not something that could be dissolved. Greatest pairing in the world. <laughs> like, I think he was on board with Pope. <laughs> right. The, the Pope made it happen. So it's God's it's will. It's God's will. Okay, Clement. <laughs> so 10 years. It took 10 years of their marriage and all of this treatment of uh, fertility treatments, societal treatments, Catherine finally gives birth to her first child with Henry. Um, and after that, they went on to have a total of 10 children um, of whom seven survived into adulthood. That was four boys lived and, and three girls. Um, her final pregnancy was just terrible and tragic. And she was pregnant with twin girls. Um, It wasn't going well. One of them died in the womb. The other died shortly after delivery. And Catherine herself almost died giving birth to them. And that was the last time um, that they tried to have children. Uh, Yes, Uh, it is not really uh, within the purview of a poison podcast to discuss it. But if you ever just in the the market for a really horrifying pregnancy story, look that one up. Oh, yeah. Um, Wow. It's gruesome. So uh, before we move on, (laughs) we're going to take a little breather of our own. And when we return, we will talk about France's teenage kings and why they had no interest in the throne. Hey, everybody, it's Holly. Listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid. And I can turn out a look when I need to, but on my day to day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. 
But that also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store. Something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older (laughs) in that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their brilliant eye brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really like go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie. And it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash criminalia. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash criminalia for 10% off your first order. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Your home should be your haven, and everyone wants to feel safe at home. If you travel a lot, it's really important that your home is secure when you're gone and that your pets are also safe. Simply Safe is advanced home security that puts you first. Simply Safe sent me a home security package, and I was really blown away by all the cameras and the quality of them. When I travel, I could check in on my cats anytime, day or night, and I sleep better knowing that once our alarm is set at night, I know that I'll be alerted if anyone tries to enter the house. Simply Safe has been named in U.S. News and World Report's best home security systems for five years running. It's also been ranked best customer service in home security by Newsweek. By partnering with Simply Safe, I've finally gotten real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Get an exclusive 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash criminalia. That's simplysafe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash criminalia. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. 
So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Dearest listener, in a world where fashion oft neglects the true diversity of the human form, Snag emerges as the beacon of inclusivity we so desperately need, renowned for their exquisite tights. Snag has triumphantly expanded its offerings to include garments that embrace everybody. Snag's creations are meticulously designed on a lifelike figures and refined across a spectrum of shapes before gracing our wardrobes, clothing that not only promises but delivers true comfort and fit, particularly of note other chub rub shorts ingeniously crafted with a moisture wicking yarn to ensure you remain at least one degree cooler and entirely free from the dreaded chafing perfect for every season these shorts can be discreetly worn under your clothes offering a delightful alternative to traditional cycling shorts whether you are at the gym hiking or simply enjoying a day in a skirt or dress they are your ideal companion remember dear listener the more you snag the more you save with free shipping on select orders. Don't delay in experiencing the fashion revolution that is snag at snagtights.us. Welcome back to Criminalia. We're about to talk about how much Catherine's life changed about the time she turned 40. So Catherine is best known for being the queen consort of Henry II of France. Consort in this context means that she did not come from a royal bloodline and that she became a queen through marriage. But she also ruled as queen regent for her two sons, Francis and Charles, who came to power when they were just 14 and 10, respectively. Um, I can't imagine any 10-year-old really being super interested in ruling France. So. (laughs) (laughs) Or prepared. I don't want to be ruled by a 10-year-old. Thank you so much. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's just... That's just crazy right there. So um, her third son, Henry, also came to power and uh, she remained, he was an adult when he did, but she remained heavily influential in his court too. So if you actually add up all of the years that Catherine was ruling as a regent and was the de facto ruler of France, it totals to about 30 years, which is amazing. Amazing. Like who gets to say they ruled France for 30 years and a a woman? Catherine de' Medici, that's who. Catherine gets to. She doesn't need anybody to wear her colors. She's got her own colors. So her life actually really begins to take shape around this time when she's 40 years old. Um, She's got teenagers. She's got a four-year-old. She has a husband who... um, was in an accident. Uh, so Henry was killed um, in a crazy sounding um, and certainly painful sounding jousting incident. Yeah, this is another one. If you're squeamish, maybe like go la 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 for the next 10 seconds. Yes. Uh, so amazingly, after he took a lance in the eye and into his brain, oh. Henry II did not immediately die. He, in fact, went on to live for 10, we're imagining, very long days. So Henry did die, um, and when he did, his eldest son Francis, who was 14, was proclaimed king. So just in case you're wondering, why didn't Catherine ascend to the throne? She was never able to rule as queen because women were excluded from succession to the throne under Salic law in France. So then let's take a moment and talk about Francis. Francis was... Always considered weak. He was young. Uh, and by weak, I mean physically weak. Um, he, and he was never particularly interested in being the king of France or 
in charge of anything or royalty. I kind of imagined him as a kid who who liked to sit in his room and play video games with his friends. Um, <laughs> except they didn't have Xbox then. <laughs> Think of how history would change if they had. Um, well, we wouldn't he, have 10-year-old kings. <laughs> even though he was a 10-year-old, he was a husband. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he had been married to Mary Stewart, Queen of Scots, when he was just four years old. And at that time, Mary was six, so... Um, a cougar. An older woman, Yeah. <laughs> It sounds off-putting and really strange to modern ears. Obviously it is. But this sort of thing happened often when it came to arranged marriages among royal families as kind of a whole, uh, you know, political move. These marriages were meant to be alliances. And in this case, an alliance between France and Scotland, it had nothing to do with love. Right. I mean, think of it more like a, a business transaction that involved your children as pawns. <laughs> um not that that's much better, but it would uh, at least let us um, get away from any of the romantic notions that we today hold with marriage. Right. And history suggests that it was actually Mary who ran things instead of Francis, much to Catherine's displeasure. <laughs> and since he was only a teenager, it was Catherine who was technically in charge as queen regent and not Mary. So it's uh, not surprising to discover there was constant friction. Can you even imagine? All right. So um, it, it didn't actually go on for very long. Uh, Francis only ruled for less than a year. Um, and he, too, died, uh, reportedly from something fairly minor, like an ear infection um, or, you know, I, I kept coming across ear infection, uh, something small that today we would just have drops to take care of. Uh, he, he's always described as having a weak constitution. Um, and soon after Francis died, uh, Catherine made sure that Mary had a one way ticket back to Scotland. <laughs> Thank you for your service. We're done now. We're done. Um, pink slipped. <laughs> so... Henry and Catherine's second son at this point, Charles, was crowned King Charles IX at age 10. Uh, because of his age and his lack of interest in being king, again, I don't want to be ruled by a 10-year-old, uh, Catherine once again acted as queen regent throughout his reign, which was also fairly short, though not nearly as short as his brother's. Charles died at age 24, so 14 years. Right, right. And um, I actually don't think that she ever really gave up her her ruling during his reign. I don't think he ever turned on to it. I don't think he ever got interested. I imagine when you've grown up with all of the benefits and doing none of the work, even when your age changes over to adulthood, <laughs> right? you're like, this this arrangement is still working for me. So Exactly. You're like, I'm 18 now and I've got plenty of time to go look at the other royal ladies while you rule for me, mom. <laughs> you're doing a great job, mom. Keep it up. <laughs> I well, I'm sure Catherine was like, yep, go out. I'm like, I'm on it. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Got your homework right here. Yep. Doing it. It's rumored that Catherine had a favorite child, and I, I ask all of my friends if they have a favorite child, and they all lie and tell me that they don't, but I know that it's true and that you all do. Um, when Catherine's son Charles died, her son Alexander Edouard was next in line to take a spin at being the king, um, but he was an adult at the time. He was 22 when he came to the throne as King Henry III. 
And one thing that we know for certain about Catherine de' Medici is that she wrote extensively both to her children and also to her European political peers. And while she was not technically serving as regent for Henry III since he was an adult, she was hugely influential in his life and his reign in this way. She really was. Um, in fact, she wrote to advise him, for example, um, that when contemplating going to war, which you know comes up a lot when you are a king, uh, that he should remember that, quote, peace is carried on a stick. Um, big stick <laughs> diplomacy is often attributed to U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt, whose foreign policy was speak softly and carry a big stick. You will go far. And uh, didn't Tony Stark say that peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy? I think they both stole the idea from Catherine. I think so, too. I do. Um, uh, So off the battlefield, though, um, Catherine, like her Medici relatives, um, was also uh, a huge patron of the arts. Indeed. This is the part of her I love because she was known to commission drawings and paintings. She had extensive architectural projects carried out. Um, And her court was known for its extravagant entertainment. Um, And she featured everything from plays, uh, ballet, and other types of dance, um, jousting, and she also had fireworks displays. Uh, Yes, she's considered to have introduced the concept of ballet to France, and then France kind of took it over for themselves. So Italian-born Catherine is also often credited with introducing a lot of food innovations to France, something that France is known for now, and really some of those seeds are with Catherine's reign. She was sometimes called, uh, in in history books, she's sometimes referred to as the foodie queen. Which I actually didn't know. I thought this was particularly great about her. Um, She is said to have introduced the fork to the French table at a time when using a fork was seen as pretentious. Um, And she was also... I don't pretend. Don't use that fork, Holly. Put it down. I love love the idea of someone like picking up a fork and someone being like, what are you, the Pope? (laughs) We don't want to be pretentious. Right? But she she also um, introduced foods to France that I think of today as being French, like quintessentially French, like the puff pastry. Yeah, Catherine it gets a lot of things attributed to her. It is also said that she introduced underwear to France. That's a much more complicated topic, and the truth is really kind of less exciting than that makes it seem. In addition to her love and support of the arts, she was also really curious about science. But remember that like science at the time is a little bit different than science in modern times. So uh, like many of her peers, she was known to regularly consult astrologers. And that's with an L, not astronomers, because they were able to predict, or at least they claimed they were able to predict the future by the position of the stars. Um, And this was all considered just as important as art, literature, and all other studies at the time, you know, as one does during the Renaissance. Yeah, astrology and astronomy very tightly linked during this period. And Catherine also became an admirer of Nostradamus, who was her contemporary. But then her story starts to take a turn and and in a strange way. Okay, so um, <laughs> so let me describe this. Catherine, um, it was believed among some in French society that Catherine uh, had commissioned an amulet from Nostradamus, um, and she wanted it made from a mixture of metal and blood. Um, That would be human and goat blood, if we're going to really get into the guts of this amulet. But it may or may not have happened. Right. Uh, And another one of her contemporaries, the philosopher Jean Baudin, claimed in his 1580 book on witchcraft that Catherine invented the Black Mass. Invented. 
Invented. That is a statement right there. (laughs) Right? This would have actually been about nine years before her death when he wrote this, but there is no record of Catherine acknowledging or commenting on this claim. You know, one of the things that I really like about Catherine, um, as we were learning about her for this episode was that she doesn't really seem to read the comments. You know what I mean? Like she, she knows that they're out there. She knows that they're happening. If they're not right in her face, she just sort of seems to go on. She, she doesn't put out any statements. She has no PR department that is really worried about whether or not she invented the black mass. She just kind of nods along and does her thing. And I, I just thought that was great. <laughs> I have a sneaking suspicion that there's also an element of fine, let them think I can do witchcraft. Absolutely, right? I mean, if you were in charge of France, wouldn't you want people to think that you were a sorceress? Although, I mean, it's actually highly unlikely she was a sorceress. Um, right. and it's, it's highly unlikely that there's any truth to either of these allegations about the Black Mass or the amulet. Um, but the it's stories the no are... Press, yeah, it's the no, no press is bad press ideology of ruling. Exactly, exactly. But what is worth noting is that in France at this time, um, Italians in general... Uh, and most definitely Italian women, um, they were very often suspected of being poisoners or at least regarded as being the murderous type, uh, regardless of whether or not they actually were or whether they were in Italy or France. Uh, the French just pointed and said, poisoner. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> it was it was pr- a pretty well-established truth, and we got to use the air quotes there, in French society at the time that Catherine ordered the poisoning of probably a handful of people. She was credited with being involved with the poisonings of Jeanne d'Albray, who was the Queen of Navarre, as well as the Cardinal of Lorraine, Cosset, a Marshal of France, and the Duc d'Anjou. It's also important to remember that during this period in history, uh, poison wasn't really well understood. Uh, It was really hard for authorities to determine whether or not it was the cause of a person's death. Um, And consequently, you can imagine that there were people accused of being poisoners willy-nilly who weren't actually poisoners, as well as people who poisoned and totally got away with it. Right. Remember, this is a time when astronomy and astrology are both considered (laughs) equal sciences. (laughs) One and the same. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) this is another good moment where we're going to laugh ourselves into a little break. (laughs) But when we return, we are going to talk about Catherine's alleged epic stash of poison. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. 
When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Dearest listener, in a world where fashion oft neglects the true diversity of the human form, Snag emerges as the beacon of inclusivity we so desperately need. Renowned for their exquisite tights, Snag has triumphantly expanded its offerings to include garments that embrace everybody. Snag's creations are meticulously designed on a lifelike figures and refined across a spectrum of shapes before gracing our wardrobes. Clothing that not only promises, but delivers true comfort and fit, particularly of note other chub rub shorts ingeniously crafted with a moisture wicking yarn to ensure you remain at least one degree cooler and entirely free from the dreaded chafing perfect for every season these shorts can be discreetly worn under your clothes offering a delightful alternative to traditional cycling shorts whether you are at the gym hiking or simply enjoying a day in a skirt or dress they are your ideal companion remember dear listener the more you snag the more you save with free shipping on select orders. Don't delay in experiencing the fashion revolution that is snag at snagtights.us. Hello, iHeart listener. We have a confession to make. Both iHeart and this commercial you're listening to right now would probably sound a heck of a lot better on the new Roku Pro Series TV. It's got side-firing speakers that fill your room with sound, Dolby Atmos audio that puts you right in the middle of the entertainment, and the ability to pair seamlessly with your home theater sound systems that already have surround sound and booming bass. If all that sounds too good to be true, it'll sound even better on the new Roku Pro Series. Your hearing isn't better. Your TV is. Welcome back to Criminalia, where we're about to talk about the accusations that Catherine poisoned people with a pair of gloves. The massive Chateau de Blois has been home to many notable members of the French aristocracy, including seven kings and ten queens of France, and that includes Catherine. It was known for its beautiful three-story external spiral staircase and for its gargoyle downspouts and its 500-plus rooms. And, 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 the list goes way I know, it's on. A, it's, I, it's a, a realtor's dream to show, really. <laughs> there's one room in particular in this home that is famously part of Catherine's legend because it was believed by many in her at, at her time that she kept her stash of poisons in a tiny apothecary-style 
cabinetry work that was in the woodwork um, of one of this particular room. And it had as many as 237 individual drawers. What's interesting about this particular piece of her story is that there is a story written by the, uh, the writer Alexander Dumas about a character named Queen Margot. Um, and that is Catherine's daughter, Margaret, and she was married to a Huguenot leader in a shrewd political move, as if there are any other types of, you know. Right. So this story, which was written by Alexandra Dumas-Père, is based on real characters and events. But don't get it twisted. That does not mean it is historical record. Right. Not only do historians agree that Dumas took a very wide artistic license in his work, he most certainly also engaged in spreading a bit of propaganda about Catherine as well as other influential figures. And uh, he appears to be the original source of this wall of poisons account, which I love the idea of a wall <laughs> of poisons. Are you kidding me? But like, <laughs> but he comes from this like vaguely fictional, vaguely very right. untruthful account of semi-history. Right. It's just truthful enough that people believed the rest of it that was made up. Exactly. Um, and as cool as a wall of poison sounds, <laughs> historians believe that this was uh, really more likely a place where Catherine kept small objects or perhaps confidential letters in all of those teeny tiny woodworked drawers. <laughs> um, but it, regardless, like the, the French still could not give up on the fact that they wanted Catherine to be a poisoner. And this was just an idea that they kept harping on. Allegedly, they believed one of Catherine's favorite methods for committing homicide with poison was with poisoned gloves. So Italy in the 16th century, as you recall, where she is from, was a well-perfumed country. And scents were used on your skin as well as on your clothing. And it may sound a little bit nutty today, but during the 16th and 17th centuries, perfumed gloves were all the rage across Europe. They were the must-have accessory, and Catherine was said to have introduced them to the French court. So this was a time when people didn't bathe as frequently as uh, we do today. And so perfumed gloves, which were called, and I, I love the name of the perfumed gloves, sweet gloves, uh, were used to mask odors. Uh, and the accessory became really popular and it was a pretty easy murder weapon to use during the Renaissance as well. Right. Everybody's got them. Everybody had gloves. Yeah. So let's get into how the French thought Catherine was using these sweet gloves to her advantage. <laughs> So in 1572, Catherine's daughter, Margaret, referenced earlier also as Margot, was engaged to marry Henry of Bourbon, who would later become Henry IV of France. Henry's mother was a woman named Jeanne d'Albray. And the story goes that Jeanne had been reluctant for her son to marry Catherine's daughter. Who we also mentioned earlier. Um, suspicions were raised about Catherine when Jeanne died suddenly just two months before her son's wedding um, because maybe she wanted her son to marry for love. No. Uh, no <laughs> nobody wanted that at this phase of the game. Um, maybe she just didn't like Catherine and found her to be kind of mean. She may have just not wanted any kind of alliance with Catherine de' Medici. Uh, it's totally plausible. I read a lot about how she just really did think that Catherine never said anything nice to her, was always mean. Um, she probably just didn't like being around her. So naturally, rumors started to swirl that Jeanne's death was actually the result of poisoning. And even though there was little love between these two women, and that was well known throughout France... Many people just assumed that Catherine sent a pair of sweet gloves to Jeanne as a pre-wedding gift. In society at the time, it actually would have been considered kind of rude if she hadn't done so. 
naturally. Um, It was believed, of course, that Catherine did it. Uh, She had allegedly gifted her with a pair of perfumed and possibly poisoned leather gloves shortly before the event happened. (laughs) If if she did kill Jeanne with sweet gloves, the idea was actually kind of brilliant. And if she didn't, they were the perfect weapon for the rumor mill. But sweet gloves tainted with poison would have, you know, changes it a little bit. These gloves were a really common gift of the royal court. Um, They were valued for their symbolism and gifted gloves, especially gloves that came from a queen, conveyed with them a certain sentiment of affection and loyalty. So she may have been trying to be like, look, I know we don't always get along. But you're marrying into the family. I'm trying. (laughs) I love gloves. Maybe you'll love gloves too. (laughs) Sweet gloves all around. So uh, as an example of another time when something like this was done, to give you an idea of how common and important it was, the Queen of Portugal in 1521 awarded the winning jousters of her court each with a pair of perfumed gloves. They were, again, perfumed, but not poisoned. It was actually, uh, it wasn't really the easiest thing in the world to to make a pair of sweet poisoned gloves. Um, it was kind of time consuming. Um, they were most commonly scented with herbs, spices, flowers like uh, jasmine, violet, and uh, orange blossom. I would love to smell like orange blossom all day long. Um, Right. So like, for clarity, as you're about to hear, this is not a case where someone got a pair of gloves and then infused them somehow with scent. Like they are from the beginning of the process of making them infused. So the scents that were chosen were mixed with animal fat or another oil and then boiled. And then a pair of gloves, usually leather, but not exclusively so, was then dipped into the fragrant liquid and then left to dry. And then depending on the material of the gloves and the strength of the scent that was desired, this process could be repeated several times so that you infused the whole thing with yummy, yummy scent. Right. It wasn't just a casual drop of lavender oil on these gloves. It's like a process. Right, right. So regardless of of, of how long it took or how popular sweet gloves were, even when they were not poisoned, uh, the French still always just always had a great distrust for Catherine and Jeanne's untimely death only added fuel to that fire for them. So part of it was that Jeanne, who was a Huguenot, was considered a spiritual and political leader of the French Huguenot movement. And her death came at a time when the Catholics and Huguenots were negotiating a peace treaty. And that possibly ignited the St. Bartholomew's Day massacre of the Huguenots just a few weeks later. So this whole theory of death by poisoned gloves, um, it, It's since been discredited by modern historians, and it's most likely that she died of tuberculosis, not of poisoned accessories. Um, Yet, the suspicion still remains on Catherine today. Uh, Even if you do your own independent research on her, you'll you'll find that she is accused of this poison in many places. Well, it's sensational, which means clicks. Um, Exactly. (laughs) So the other thing uh, is that uh, there were three other rumored victims on Catherine's alleged hit lists. Holly, were they poisoned? No, they were not. (laughs) Um, Look, I'm not saying she was above poison, but we have zero evidence. The Cardinal of Lorraine died as a result of surgery, which was a whole other dicey proposition at this point, because they didn't have germ theory was not in the picture. Can you even imagine? Like, like, (laughs) there is absolutely no concrete record of the death of Cosset, a marshal of France, but there's also no reason to suspect that he was poisoned. And the Duke d'Anjou 
once again, that player in a lot of historical deaths, tuberculosis. Right. So um, although the intrigue of this myth continues to have legs, and it's really fun to talk about somebody poisoning somebody else with a pair of leather gloves, um, what is certain is that Catherine, at the very least, um, is likely the one who popularized perfumed gloves in France, but without poison. Yeah. Sometimes the real story is a boring story. <laughs> Sometimes. Like, she just likes gloves. She made this accessory <laughs> really popular, you guys. Uh, but isn't it interesting how we are all, I mean, it's part of human nature, and I'm not judging anybody who wants to believe the more salacious version, but we all want to believe a rumor rather than a boring reality. You know, it's more fun to think she was a witch, a sorceress. She'll kill you. She'll kill you dead. Um <laughs> And it's especially, apparently, especially fun if you were French in the mid-1500s. <laughs> Listen, they didn't have television yet. I know, right? right? The kids didn't have video games. They had to become kings instead. Like, she, you know, Mom! Like, yeah. Life was hard. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> but while it is unlikely she committed these sweet glove poisonings, it is not really outside the realm of possibility that Catherine did or may have known how to dabble in poisons. That tendency did, it turns out, run in her family. Ah, the Medicis. They dabbled in everything. (laughs) (laughs) You can't love science without a little poison in 16th century Italy. She she had she had many relatives who dabbled in in poisons, but um, we have a few that we pulled out. Uh, Cosimo, uh, de Medici. He was the Grand Duke of Tuscany and a contemporary of Catherine's, which is why I thought he was interesting. Um, he was known to use poison as a tool for solving his political problems. His son, too, uh, was also a widely suspected poisoner, um, and he likely used arsenic as his weapon of choice. Um, the Medici poisoners go really far back into their family history. And homicidal poisonings were fairly commonplace in France and throughout all of Europe, frankly, during this time. So much so that if you just fell ill, you wouldn't automatically think like, oh, I'm coming down with the flu or I have a little cold. You would naturally lean right into the idea that someone had poisoned you. What you should have thought is that you had tuberculosis. Um, But the popularity of poisons spread through Europe like crazy at this time. So when it spread from Italy into France, France practitioners uh, became collectively known as the French school of poisoners. There was also an Italian school of poisoners at this time. It wasn't really a school. It was, you know, where you went and had textbooks and things, but like, but it was a group of poisoners who helped each other, uh, you know, work out recipes, you know, maybe shared some things with each other. Um, They inspired at that time as many as 30,000 poisoners in France alone by 1572, which is more than a decade before Catherine died. So it was it was in the middle of her life. Poisoning in France wasn't trivial. Um, it was just part of what you did. It's just part of what I you like did. thinking about the School of Poisoners coursework. What's the syllabus for this class? <laughs> right. So, I mean, we all really like this twee idea of Catherine using a pair of tainted sweet gloves to make a power play. But sadly, nothing in her story uh, is really there that makes her any more power-hungry or bloodthirsty or poison-prone than any other leader who was contemporary (laughs) to her. 
as we've seen with many powerful female leaders, um, whether we've talked about them yet in in this season, whether they're to come, whether we're not going to address them at all, it doesn't really matter. But there's a lot of criticism that women receive based on the sexist notions in the society that they happen to be living in. And in Catherine's case, too, put on top of the fact that she was a woman, she was a foreign woman in a xenophobic culture. And so there are bound to be stories about her and not good ones. So the French never really came around (laughs) to Italian-born Catherine, and they always viewed her as a manipulative foreigner with a penchant for poison. (laughs) And for forks. And because Catherine believed in and supported the sciences, uh, in particular, she was very interested in astronomy and astrology. Again, astrology being considered a science at this point in history. This was enough to accuse her of occultism the way that we have seen. Accordingly, being accused of occultism matches up with the accusation that she had invented or at least participated in black mass. Uh, Accusations of witchcraft have long been used to delegitimize women who had any sort of power. Catherine died in January 1589. She was 69 at this point. She died from natural causes, most likely related to pleurisy. Today, she is buried next to her husband in the Saint-Denis Basilica in Paris. Uh, She was really influential during a period of really intense religious and civil conflict in France. Um, She had been, had she been a man in the society that she lived in, um, I can imagine that she would very possibly have gone on to be remembered as one of Europe's greatest leaders during the Renaissance. I mean, she was, she had a steady hand. Uh, She was apparently in power for 30 plus years. Uh, But You know, the men weren't necessarily playing by the rules either. But instead, she remains an object in history as the Italian woman or Madame Serpent or Queen Jezebel. (laughs) I love that. And maybe our favorite, the woman who eats little children. (laughs) (laughs) What is your poison this week? If you look up cocktails related to Catherine de' Medici's name, you will discover a whole lot of them. Um, There are a lot of bartenders around the world that have come up with some interesting ones. Um, I landed on one that's a fairly simple affair that is, I believe, from an Australian site, Kuledos, and this is a really simple recipe. It is, I I amended it a little. There's this like, they go by milliliters Uh, And I'm too lazy for that. So I just did roughly one part eau de vie. So that's also like a white brandy. And then two parts champagne. And you basically pour the eau de vie into a chilled champagne flute. And Mm -hmm. then you pour the champagne on top. I think that sounds like a great Catherine de' Medici or just a Medici in general, House of Medici drink. Well, it certainly tastes like poison. Oh no, really? The eau de vie does give it this nice fruitiness um but it's just a little bitey for me i like a very um like sweet you know very um juicy kind of drink usually so i kind of like to be kicked in the head by it so i'll have to make it well bravo you should be drinking (laughs) earthquakes i think um but yeah so that's the that's the catherine de medici there are a million more if you're feeling adventurous and you want to have some online time mixing cocktails uh but that is the one that i selected for this one it does seem kind of perfectly appropriate for her it does the ingredients seem pretty great um did you notice that like a lot of her her um, inspired drinks had a lot of champagnes or anything in particular in them or they yeah tons of champagnes None of it is like, oh, you want to sip 12 of these while you sit by a beach all day long. It's all like, 
you want to drink one, maybe two. If you're feeling <laughs> yeah, no, right. So that's that. So thank you for joining us. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 